Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Thank you. Damn. Uh, thank you, and thank you for taking advantage of perfect movie-going weather tonight. Um, my name is Murray Horwitz. I'm the director of the AFI Silver Theater and Cultural Center. Uh, I want to thank you for your patience. Uh, as you may know, as most of you know, I think, the weather played sort of havoc with the roads, so we were forced to hold for a while to accommodate everybody. Um, we're very pleased to, uh, for reasons I hope to make clear very shortly, to welcome you to this screening of The Visitor. This week, we mark our fifth anniversary. So, thank you. So, I'm curious, was anybody here opening night? Was anybody here when Clint Eastwood came here? Was, raise your hand. If, you're my wife, that doesn't count. Uh, there you go, thank you. Um, we had something to be ashamed of, not to be proud of. Um, well, we're, we're, we're marking the fifth anniversary year all year long with a series of special events, and tonight is indeed one of those. Um, in a way, it's a reunion of sorts with old friends here, like Participant Productions and the Center for American Progress and um, Allied Advertising, as, as well as new friends like Overture Films and Amnesty International. Uh, a fifth anniversary is a time for uh, a rededication. Don't worry, my wife and I are not going to redo our wedding vows. But um, in, a, in a sense, tonight we're um, rededicating ourselves both to that part of the AFI's mission, which is to celebrate artists and to celebrate excellence on screen, but also AFI Silver's commitment to giving our audiences a kind of window on what it means to be uh, a citizen of the United States and of the world in the 21st century. That means we like films that engage with issues, particularly issues about human beings, and we like to share this lectern with people who can put those issues in some kind of context for us. So I'm going to introduce you to two ladies, um, the second of whom is Sarnata Reynolds, the Refugee Program Director at Amnesty International USA, where she promotes the enforcement of international human rights standards pertaining to immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers, and others. But first, before Ms. Reynolds joins us, Anna Sulner of the Center for American Progress. We knew her here as the Director of Outreach and Special Events for the Center of American, for American Progress here in Washington, D.C., and now she's Vice President for Communications and Deputy Director of American Progress's newly launched California office. So you can show your congratulations for her moving up in the world, if having abandoned this coast, by giving a warm welcome, please, to Anna Solner. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. Um, welcome to all of you to this wonderful film and this wonderful evening. Uh, the Center for American Progress is so thrilled to be here and with such amazing partners such as AFI, Amnesty, Overture, our friends at Allied, and Participant Productions. Since our beginning, the Center for American Progress, which is a locally-based think tank here in DC, um, has really strove to um, introduce audiences to issues in different ways. We are a non-traditional think tank in the sense that we believe that the culture really affects what is happening in public life and that we can learn from the culture through screenings such as this one. So we hope that you will find um, an interesting new way of looking at the topic of immigration, the topic of detentions by seeing this film. 
Um, CAP has shown tremendous leadership when it comes to the issue of comprehensive immigration reform. We really feel very strongly that issues like the ones you're gonna see tonight will not get repaired unless this country really focuses on the people who are part of this very broken system. So we are so proud of the folks at Overture and for, at, at excuse me, um, Participant Productions for demonstrating a very quiet story, but yet a very powerful story, because it's so important that we see a different image to um, what quote unquote illegal immigrants, that we see why these people come to our country, why they so desperately want to be here. And, um, and so we hope that you take home tonight a very, um, a, a different view of, of these people in our country. And if you'd want more information about this topic, please uh, visit our website, www.americanprogress.org, for more information on what we're doing on this issue and how you can help. So without further ado, I'd like to invite my colleague from Amnesty up here. Thank you. I also want to welcome everyone here tonight, and thank you for inviting me to be a part of this wonderful evening. Um, I hope all of us come out of this event both more better educated as well as inspired to reach out in our communities to address some of these issues. Everyday people make decisions to leave their homes, their communities, and their countries. Some leave because they're afraid, afraid for their lives and afraid for the lives of their children and loved ones. Others leave because their social or economic conditions have compelled them to do so. The promise of a better standard of living for their families pushes many people into irregular migration, where they end up in an undocumented status if legal avenues of immigration are not available to them. Every year, thousands of people die trying to reach other countries, and every year, hundreds of people die at the U.S. southern border. Migrants and asylum seekers are often characterized by politicians and the media as criminals, as economic burdens, as security threats, and even as a risk to the public safety. The reality is, however, that many economies have come to rely on migrants who are prepared to work in degrading and dangerous jobs with little security and low wages, and the U.S. is no exception. This unrecognized, unappreciated, and undervalued workforce now drives a significant part of the global economy. A migrant worker is increasingly viewed as a commodity or a labor unit or a temporary service provider who can be shuttled around the world at will. This attitude lacks any recognition whatsoever of a migrant's human rights. The visitor, the film we'll be watching tonight, illuminates some of these issues and provides a harrowing glimpse into the experience of immigration detention in the United States. Under international human rights law, Amnesty is an international human rights organization, no one should be subject to arbitrary detention. Yet the United States government increasingly detains migrants, including people who seek protection from persecution, under a policy that mandates the automatic detention of people, regardless of their reason for moving, regardless of whether they are a danger to the community, and regardless of whether they, they have no reason to be detained. The number of individuals detained by immigration and authorities in the U.S. has increased to include over 283,000 people every year, over 283,000 people. Although officially eligible to apply for release from detention, migrants and asylum seekers are now less likely to have access to a hearing in which they can make a case for release. 
Moreover, they're often unable to obtain legal assistance, which is necessary to prevent, present viable claims in an adversarial and complex, complex immigration process. Without, without counsel, asylum seekers are up to 17 times less likely to receive the protection they need in order to stay in this country. Once detained, many migrants and asylum seekers have no access to telephones, to their family, to health care, or to lawyers. Although guidelines for the, the detention of migrants and asylum seekers exist, they have no force of law, and they don't necessarily apply to uh, private, fed, private, state, or county jails where the vast majority of migrants and asylum seekers are housed. In addition, there's a general lack of oversight and monitoring of detention facilities housing migrants and asylum seekers. As a result, the abuse and ill treatment suffered by immigration detainees often goes unreported and no one is held accountable. Detainees are often subject, subjected to arbitrary punishment, including strip searches, shackling, solitary confinement, neglect of basic medical and hygienic needs, and denial of outdoor recreation. Verbal, physical, and sexual abuse have all been reported in detention. In fact, on February 16, 2008, just a month ago, Francisco Castaneda died of penile cancer shortly after being released from immigration custody. Before his release, the government had refused for 11 months to authorize a biopsy of a growing lesion, even though several doctors said the biopsy was crucial and urgent. According to a U.S. District Court judge, rather than test and treat Castaneda, government officials told him to be patient and prescribed antihistamines, ibuprofen, and extra boxer shorts. In summary, the judge wrote, the care provided to Castaneda, quote, can be characterized by one word, nothing. Although you may not know it, this is happening in your backyard in over 400 detention centers across the United States. You can find out where detention centers are located in your community by visiting Detention Watch Network's website. There you will find a map that pinpoints the location of detention centers throughout the U.S. We're also lucky to have representatives from, from a variety of organizations focused on immigration detention, of course, including Center for American Progress, also Detention Watch Network, Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service, the Women's Commission, Clinic, American Bar Association, and Rights Working Group. Please feel free to approach them after the screening during the reception if you'd like to find out how you could assist and uh, work on the, the, the cessation of arbitrary detention. At the heart of Amnesty International's agenda for migrant rights is a call to treat all migrants with respect for their human rights and their human dignity. Strategies are needed to counter the misinformation, prejudice, and the fear that all too often characterize the discussion of migration issues amongst, amongst decision makers and, general, and the general public. Raising public awareness on the basis of a well-informed and balanced argument, and through films such as The, the Visitor, is a vital part of the human rights agenda on migrant rights. AIUSA is currently the, researching the arbitrary detention of migrants and asylum seekers in the U.S. and will launch a campaign early next year to stop the arbitrary detention of both populations. A successful campaign requires coalitions to be built with migrants and their communities, non-governmental organizations, and others working to protect and promote migrants' rights. I hope tonight's events will inspire you to join all of us in this campaign. Thank you.
Hi, I just mentioned, uh, would like to mention one thing. I mentioned our work here at AFI, and um, we're fortunate in having wonderful colleagues who do that work in a first-rate way. This evening never would have happened without uh, the work of a great many of my colleagues, but I want especially to ask you to thank uh, the hard work of Tiffany Graham and Josh Bohr and Stanton Lawyer. Uh, they put themselves out to make this happen on a nasty evening outside. So thank you, staff. Now, there will be, as I think you know, a question and answer with the, some of the artists who made the film uh, following the screening. And uh, to conduct that, uh, we have, did I use the word first rate? Uh, a first-rate arts journalist, formerly film critic at the Baltimore Sun, currently gracing the pages of our hometown paper, The Washington Post. Please welcome Anne Hornaday. Thank you, Murray. Um, thank you for coming. I think I know you'll find it worth the slog through the bad weather. I first saw this film in the Toronto Film Festival last year and was transported. Um, it's made, it was written and directed by Tom McCarthy, who made the wonderful 2003 film, The Station Agent, a film about connection, and he's made another really powerful movie about the power of connection. Um, and I'm honored to introduce him tonight. You, you know Tom's work from that film, you know his acting work from films like Syriana, and Good Night and Good Luck, and Flags of Our Fathers, and most recently, the final season of the Baltimore-based The Wire. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom McCarthy. Hi, everybody. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and, and thank you to all our hosts who have been uh, fairly represented. Uh, I will be up here after with uh, my four lead actors to do a little Q&A before the reception. And uh, beyond that, I just want you to turn off your cell phones and sit back and enjoy the movie. Thanks again for being here. Tom McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen, the writer and the director of the film we're seeing tonight. Okay, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. I don't know and the rest of my cast is here. Uh, Haas Sleeman, Denai Gadira, Hiyama Boss, and Richard Jenkins. Thank you very much. Well, we're going to jump right into it. And if any of you have questions, there are microphones on, I believe, on either side of the auditorium. And I think you can just line up behind them. And, and um, if you're ready with a question, line up. And in the meantime, I'll just jump right in and, and ask Tom. As I said before, it, it isn't surprising you've made, you've made two movies now that are really about the power of human connection, but tell us a little bit about where the kernel of this one came from. Um, <clears throat> uh, first of all, thank you for that very uh, generous uh, uh, applause. And, um, and if you have questions too, you can just stand up and yell it out. We're intimate enough. You don't have to go to those scary microphones on the corner. Um, uh, the, the kernel started, with, for me, it always begins with characters, and it began with uh, a couple of characters. I had this character of Walter Vale kicking around for a while, 
and I wasn't sure how to use him, but knew I would find a way. And then uh, I had spent some time at the, when the station agent was finished. Uh, the State Department of uh, all things sent me over, to, uh, sent uh, the film, and uh, invited me to go with the film uh, to the Middle East. And I spent some time in. Uh, specifically in, uh, in Lebanon and Beirut with it. And uh, I think out of that, out of meeting a lot of people and artists there, filmmakers, musicians, uh, I sort of conceived the idea of Tarek and uh, bringing this character to screen. And, um, and then uh, after that, I started to flesh out these other uh, characters of Zainab and, uh, and Muna. So I think first and foremost, uh, this was always a character story for me about four people connecting in New York City. And then uh, when dealing with, obviously, people from another country, it's almost impossible at this stage uh, to avoid the, the uh, story of immigration and then detention and deportation. And you, I, I gather you wrote, two of these roles were written specifically for two, for Richard and Hiam. And um, tell us a little bit about that. Was, was Walter written for Richard? Uh, yeah, I think so, right? I mean, I, I, Richard's a guy... <laughs> <laughs> Richard always tells me to say that. I've been telling everybody it has. <laughs> yeah, it was. I really had Richard in mind from the beginning, and uh, and uh, the same with uh, Hiam's character of Muna. I'd seen Hiam in a lot of amazing movies coming out of the Middle East and out of Europe, and uh, I did some of my writing in Paris and met Hiam during that period. We sat down, and she was generous enough to spend a couple of uh, uh, lunches with me, and, um, and I started fleshing out the characters from there. And then... Um, these uh, wonderful actors here, Haas and Denai, we, I found the old-fashioned way through uh, casting sessions. And Richard, how does it feel to be making your breakthrough performance at 60, at the tender age of 60? Um, well, I can't see it anymore, so it's, uh, <laughs> or I can't hear it either, but uh, no, it, it's, it's an extraordinary time. I mean, it's, um, I've said it many times, but it's the, you know, it's, you wait your entire professional career to be a part of something like this, and, um, you know, it happened, so um, uh, I'm grateful, and um, I, I had an absolute ball making it, but um, it was, I don't, I don't want to keep going on about it, but, <laughs> but, but uh, um, it was extraordinary for me. It was, yeah. I'm, I think, are there people, no, is it, are there any questions yet? I don't want to leave, the lights make it hard to see, so if I'm, if I'm, uh, I don't mean to be ignoring anybody out there. Yeah, there's someone standing up. You go to the mic. Nice. You can be intimate with a microphone. <laughs> Question, I think, maybe uh, best directed to Haas, I think, for the sake of the, the character development. But I think in the, the issue that's dealt with here, specifically of immigration, there's a lot of fear uh, involved, really, in, in, on everyone's side. And I think, I'm sorry, uh, I've forgotten. Haas, who, who's, who played your girlfriend? Denai Guerrero. Denai, I apologize, I forgot your name. So Denai expressed this in words about having this fear and how ha uh, your character didn't fear it. When Richard, when Walter first entered the apartment, there was fear uh, of being discovered and anger, you know, you wanted to hit him, but then I felt like your character very quickly got over that fear whereas Denies did not. And so I, th I hope maybe you could speak about how you think you got over that fear, your character got over that fear and was able to embrace him so quickly. I think, you know, in terms of specifically what happens in the movie, um, you know, Denise's character, Zainab, she was detained. So, so, you know, she's very, very cautious 
because of that, Tarek was never detained, um, so he um, never had that experience. And then, um, you know, and as soon as um, you know Walter lets him back in, what happened is that you know he comes from a certain culture. Arab culture is very uh, hospitable, very welcoming, and 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 as soon as Walter, you know, um, offered that, it was almost as if he owed him his life. And it was easy for him to connect uh, from that point on. Um, but in terms of other like situations and immigrant issues here in this country, um, I think there's not one way of approaching this really because they're so different. Everyone has a different story. Uh, um, you know. So from that point, I would think really for me, I mean, what's beautiful about this film is that it <clears throat> it's so great when people uh, they connect on a level where they strip away all of their back differences in background, culture, political beliefs, and only from that place can you truly connect with one another. Um, you know, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but that's kind of how I would look at it. You know, what struck me watching it was how um, how you how the film represents New York as most New Yorkers experience it, which is this very cosmopolitan polygot place where people are speaking, you know, people are rubbing up against each other all the time. And it's an image of the city that we so rarely see represented, especially in mainstream films where it's sort of that back lot, uh, glamorized, sanitized, but really very monocultural. Um, was this sort of, did you, did, was that in the back of your mind as well as like wanting to depict the city that you live in? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, that's the New York I know, you know, that really is. I mean, it's hard, for me, it's hard to avoid that. There's obviously directors who have made careers out of showing a very specific niche of New York. And uh, and that exists also, we, as we know that. People can be very sort of clannish in New York. But I think if you just walk down the street and keep your ears open, you're going to hear five or six languages on your way to any, you know, restaurant or, or bookstore. So I, I think that's what we're sort of uh, we're going for a little bit with this movie. And, and a lot of this, you know, like, for instance, with Zainab's character, you know, I did a lot of research. I spent a lot of time in these markets. I have friends from other countries who sell in these markets. And you sit in these places, and it's amazing. It literally, it's almost, it's almost comical how many countries are represented at these places. And I think, um, and Denai could speak to this, but I think, you know, she found some Senegalese jewelry. Didn't you find some Senegalese jewelry designers? It's amazing how many Senegalese people are selling jewelry in New York City. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't hard. And they embraced me very quickly, and I spent a lot of time with them, and they're fantastic. Yeah, so, I mean... Uh I mean, you know, that, that that just seemed like a very natural part of New York. And I think also, you know, when you're making a film at this budget, uh, sometimes budget uh, dictates aesthetic. And and I think very early on, my uh, cinematographer, Oliver Bolkelberg, who's German, who's an immigrant to this country, and I were like, you know, we want to show the New York we know, the sort of backdoor, the insider's guide. You know, most New Yorkers don't witness the sweeping overhead shots of the financial district. You know, you just don't see that when you look out your window. You normally see another window or something. And I think uh, that was sort of our, our direction and approach the script. I, I love scenes like where Walter and Moon are in the kitchen together and he's got to step back so she can get coffee. It's like, that's the New York I know, you know. If someone comes into my kitchen, I know it. And, uh, and I think that's, that's what we're kind of going for. Yes. Yeah, maybe on a political level, what made you choose uh, characters from Senegal and uh, Syria and not Central or South America? Um, I don't like people from Central and South America. <laughs> I should put that out there right now. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be awkward in this group? Yeah. Um, <laughs> now let's go get a drink. Uh, 
No, it really was born of a couple of things. One, as I said, I started this as a character study. So although there is a political element, and I think uh, one that certainly merits discussion, and hopefully this, at the very least, this film will promote that on some level. First and foremost, it started with two characters. Uh, a lot of the people I met in Lebanon, and, and, uh, and of course, Walter's character. And then I just felt, in, in starting to do the research, that's when I started stumbling across these detention centers and, and really got, you know, spent a year sort of immersing myself in the world of immigration. I became a visitor through a wonderful organization in New York called the Sojourners, and spent a lot of time in, in several institutions in Wackenhut and Queens before it closed, and then in Elizabeth, uh, visiting detainees. And quite honestly, and I just went in you know, as a visitor, so you sign up, you get to talk to people. And almost, I really ran into very few people from Latin Central America. Might have been luck of the numbers, I don't know, but that was just my experience. Many African, many Middle Eastern, Malaysian, Chinese. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, in talking to my friends who are lawyers on both coasts, LA specifically and New York, uh, they were like, yeah, you know, there's definitely, it depends where you are, what region. So it just seemed to, for a number of reasons, to fit the story uh, that I was interested in telling. And then I think I chose Syria as opposed to Lebanon because of the regime there, because of the stakes, and uh, because of what it meant specifically to Tariq and to his mother, Muna, being Palestinians, being refugees in a sense, living in Syria. Um, uh, and uh, that you know, there are so many stories. As, as a lot of the people in this audience are well acquainted with, that there comes a point where you just got to choose one and run with it. Yes. Other on this oh. side, there's somebody. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thanks. Um, in the end, it was very powerful, particularly to an educated audience, to not show the interior of the detention center. But if you could talk a little bit about the decision to just show it from the outside and from that kind of horrific interface with the, the people in the booth and not show any of the horrible details. Right. Um, it's a great question, actually, and one I really struggled with. Ultimately, I never, I never got back there. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get back there, and I tried a couple of different ways, and, and then I started to feel like it was, there was something more ominous about not knowing. And everything I heard was through detainees. And, and it's like reading a book where you let your imagination do the, do the rest. And I felt like uh, we could see what was happening as I witnessed. I mean, I, I witnessed things that many of the things that I sort of replicated and fictionalized in this film uh, firsthand. And so, you know, to see a character like, like Tarek sort of break down based on his experience in there, I think tells us everything we need to know at that point. So, you know, it's a really interesting question, and I think there's... There's a lot to still be explored, and it's the difficult thing when you are trying to, you know, tell a story. That's my that's my number one sort of one number one priority here: telling a story. I wasn't out to tell a message, uh, and and this was the story I wanted to tell about four people and not one man's experiences in the American detention facilities. So uh, that's the story I chose to tell. And quite honestly, uh, it also, I liked, like, Tar like I think Haas pointed out quite rightfully, I liked what it, how it made us look at uh, Zainab. And I really credit Denai, which I think is a very courageous performance. Is she played this character so, so close to the vest, so protected. Uh, and, and I think it takes a lot of guts to do that as an actor, not to try to be more lovable on film. But she maintained, I think, very honestly and bravely the integrity of that character and her personal experience. Okay, I'll alternate sides. Your turn. Thanks. Although I feel a little busted because I was going to use the word messaging. So, um, although I loved the message of the film, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you ever felt the need to make it a happy ending. I was so hopeful throughout the whole movie as we kind of saw it developing. I'm wondering if you ever had that 
urge to make it a happy ending or have an alternate ending where it could be a positive one? Um. No, not really. <laughs> I figured. I mean, you know, just because I wasn't, I wasn't witnessing a lot of happy endings, to be quite honest. And I wasn't out to sensationalize the event. And that's why I think I chose some, a lot of these characters and the way it happened. It wasn't a case of rendition or something that was so extraordinary that we think, wow, could this ever happen? This happens every day. And I think, um, I think there is a hopefulness to the film. And I think that hopefulness not, comes not only from the main character's sort of emotional renaissance, but more importantly, from the connection of these four people. And those connections will last. I believe that. I believe there will be relationships between Walter and, and, and even Zainab in the future in New York City. And I believe Walter and Muna will continue to keep in touch. And certainly Walter and Tarek, uh, you know, God willing. <laughs> Inshallah, <laughs> that somewhere down the road. But, um, and I think for me, that is the most hopeful, that's ultimately the most hopeful message of the movie. Hi, I wanted to thank all of you for your efforts in making this film. And I want to spend some time looking at the title, The Visitor, because a big question for me, and maybe each of you could speak to this, is who is visiting whom in this film? And you've talked at length about the backdrop of New York City, you offer several shots where there's this juxtaposition of several different cultures from the shot of all the newspapers at the stand in several different languages and just constantly throughout the film. So I was just gonna wonder, um, ask you, did you arrive at the title of The Visitor initially or is it a theme that just kind of evolved and then you came to the title later? Or, or how did this whole theme of who is the visitor and to title the film The Visitor play out? Um, I, I will let these guys speak to that. Maybe they have, I'm sure, you know, it's interesting because everyone, including the actors involved, always have various interpretations of the story, and I think that's sort of the beauty of it all, right? It kind of goes beyond all of us in that sense. And I don't know, it's a title I had very early on, um, and I, 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 I'm not sure where I initially arrived. I will say I still get my emails from the Sojourners often, and a lot of time they're like, visitors, this week we are, and there was something to that in that. And in fact, when we, that detention facility we, we obviously built, we couldn't get access, gain access to, a, to those, one of those detention facilities. And um, uh, I really credit John Payno, my production designer, for making several visits with me and taking a pad with him and like furiously sketching every nut and bolt of these places. And, and just beautifully, I mean, it's eerie how similar, for those of you who haven't been in them, how similar that place is. Right down to the mural on the wall of the Trade Center and the Statue of Liberty painted by inmates, by detainees. And uh, which just to me harkens back to some really ugly moments in American and European history. So. I think to that end, uh, it always seemed right. And you know, my John and his people came up with these passes that m at many facilities you click on when you go in that says visitor. And we actually had, I think at one point we gave them to you and then we took them away because it was just too much. I felt like, oh, there's the title. You know, then I, I didn't want that to happen, but. Um, we will be selling them in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> it is an independent film after all. Uh, uh, and, you know, I think uh, it, it also, it is right from the beginning of the film, when Walter's waiting for a visitor, I think, you know, I think that theme sort of continues throughout, and um, hopefully it, it does beg the question, who is the visitor in the movie? Anybody else want to jump in? Depends on the scene. That's how I uh, always looked at it. I think we are all visitors. She's not usually like this, I want to tell you something. Right, Anne? I was just going to say, I concur. Well, I'm just going to say it. I am the visitor. 
Wow. Okay, now it's going to get ugly. Okay, I know these people. Yes. On a less serious note, I was wondering if you were going to play for us tonight, and then I saw the drums waiting in the wings as well. Where? Now listen, I'm going to, okay, uh, now that, thank you. You just segued into a drumming question for both gentlemen. <clears throat> who had drumming experience and, and who didn't? Um, I, I had played the drums when I was young. I played for five or six years, and um, um, so I didn't have to go to lessons. But um, uh, <laughs> um, um, yeah, it sounds like I'm lazy, but I, I didn't. Um, I actually knew an actor who was of my age that says he only played kings in Shakespeare because he got to sit down the whole time. That was, a <laughs> but um, uh, Haas worked six weeks or more with a, a teacher in L.A. and one in New York. And um, he got he, was, he ended up being really terrific. So uh, um, it, uh, he, he, you know, he, he played well, played really well. Um, all I can say is that it was very easy for me to be in my underwear. <laughs> and the rest... The editors did great, so. But, and I think what Haas, it's a real credit to him, is just like to make the drum a part of him. His body is just how he handled the drum, and, and I think it's a credit to Richard how differently they handled the drum. Uh, you know, it, it was really fun to watch that, and, and uh, I think that's how that kind of came about. Okay, we only have time for one last question, unfortunately, because we got started a little late. So, on this side? No? Okay, good. Over here? Yeah, you're raising your hand. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that was the beauty of it. I think that's the beauty of New York. I'm a New Yorker, and I, I love that you are constantly connecting with people you don't expect to. And and I, I'm a Zimbabwean-American, Zimerican, so to speak, and that's an unusual connection. I was born in Grinnell, Iowa, and I grew up in Harare, Zimbabwe. So I'm constantly sort of experiencing unusual connections in my life. And, and uh, so that's why I so appreciated this, because I feel like they're so underrepresented, uh, that sort of level of human connection that can occur. I've, I grew up with parents who were Zimbabwean, but were very close to you know people who'd never left Grinnell, Iowa, and uh, it was just that sort of le watching how people are able to connect on a human level despite such differences. I think is rarely exploited dramatically, and so to um, to, to to receive a script like this and, and get a chance to perform um, in it was really um, a wonderful experience, and to give voice to women and 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 see other other people of, that are rarely given voice on on screen and on on script. Um, come to life was, was really enriching. And I think we need to see a lot more of it. Huh?
And I'm a Palestinian, born in Israel, grew up, uh, born in, in Nazareth, grew up in Israel. And I traveled, and I really do a lot of movies all over the world. And I think, I don't know, like when you come from that place, when you come from that conflict, and you just look in front of you, and you want really to advance in your life, though the situation tries to stuck you and to label you in one place or another, you say, what is there more than a human being that I connect to? And that's the only way for me to go on. So when this, when, when this movie came to me, when the character came to me, because the character arrived before the movie, <laughs> in a way, which is unusual really normally in the business, I really, I mean, it was such a beautiful story for me that just like continues this kind of like voyage that I'm taking since I decided to be free when I was 15, since I decided to like not to belong, but to be a human being. And that's the biggest belonging you can have, you know, as a person. You just like, what else is there if I just block myself in whatever they're trying to teach me and put me in and I just like don't open doors for others? So it's like deciding at the age of 15 as well to not get into this hatred circle that is been going on for like for long and 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 like I, I really find myself often just kind of like getting into these characters with these big questions and I'm so glad to, for one time to make an American movie with this subject and to be part of it though I'm not American and I'm kind of French, Palestinian, Israeli, whatever, but it's so beautiful. I mean, like, I feel like in my person, there is already all this connection that this movie is talking about. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, I'll just address, since you asked, uh, the participant. Yeah, it's a wonderful company. They have their website up there, participate.com. I recommend you check that. And on that are links to a lot of the organizations involved and attached to this movie now. So it's a great sort of meeting place for all that. And they do. They, uh, they are a company, as they say, with a double bottom line. And uh, that is very sincerely their mission, which is, one, to make good movies and make a profit, hopefully, and two, to make m movies with a social message. And I credit them for, for having the sort of... Uh, the courage to make movies like this that just aren't out front message movies, you know, that aren't about one topic. And I think they've been very sophisticated in their sort of development process that way, that they've realized first and foremost, they want to tell a good story. You got to suck the audience in, you got to have people saying, oh, go see this movie, uh, and not just go, you know, go learn a lesson. So uh, it's a real credit to them. And, you know, quite honestly, it's very difficult to make these types of movies in, in, in this country today. It really is. And I think part of it was the capital of the station age. And, and a big part of it, and maybe more so, was that you have companies like Participant, like Groundswell, run by Michael London, who are privately financed, have their own equity, and who are willing to step up and make American movies that they believe in, that have a message, that have something important to say, that are adult movies, and, and that ultimately are hopefully very good stories. So uh, it's a credit to both those producers, and, and specifically Participant in this instance. Um, but on that note, thank you all, and to Anne, and to everyone for coming. Thank you.